Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8, verse 1, and then verses 13 and following. Where we begin at 7, verse 24, the waters flooded the earth for 150 days, but God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark, and he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. Now verse 13. By the first day of the month of Noah's 601st year, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground, so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number upon it. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives. All the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds Everything that moves on the earth came out of the ark, one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of the, all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. So long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. This evening we consider the covenant of preservation. The Covenant of Preservation. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that you have established your word in the heavens and that that word endures forever. We thank you for the power of your word that once going forth causes the direction of the earth. We ask that you will help us, Heavenly Father, to understand how your word abides forever and so determines the course of of men and nations. Give to us wisdom and understanding and joy to submit ourselves to the clear teaching of your word. For we ask in Christ's name, amen. Now, where were we? Where were we? Well, we were dealing with the two seeds, the seed of the woman and the seed of Satan. We had looked at Genesis 3.15 and saw that a great struggle had been established there between the seed of the woman and the seed of Satan. We saw that that struggle would go through the whole of human history. That was in Genesis chapter 3. Now in Genesis chapter, chapters 4 through 11, which takes us up to the election of Abraham and the calling of him out of the era of Chaldees, we see the development of these two seeds. 
the development of the two seeds in Genesis chapter 4 verses or Genesis chapters 4 through 11. And we see two kinds of seed. We see on the one hand the degeneracy of the seed of Satan and on the other hand grace being shown to the seed of the woman. And those are the two seeds. Now let's just look for a moment at these two seeds and see how they work themselves out in this period of human history. First of all, the degeneracy that develops in the seed of Satan. And we have, first of all, among those, Cain. Cain rose up and killed his brother. Out of hatred and jealousy, Cain killed his brother. Why did he kill him? He killed him because he was of the seed of Satan. Now today that same principle is at work in the world. So far as you allow your heart to be given over to jealousy and to hatred, you are manifesting the power of the seed of Satan in the world. If that is the pattern of life that you have, then you have identified yourself as belonging not to the seed of God, not to the seed of the woman that would be God's gracious working in, in the world, but to the seed of Satan. Then we have Lamech, and you have a very interesting character in the person of Lamech. Look at Genesis chapter 4, verses 19 through 24. Genesis chapter 4, verses 19 through 24. The scripture says, first of all, that Lamech married two women. In other words, he was a bigamist. He was to bring forth seed into the earth, but he was not following the pattern that God had established when he said a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And that cleaving clearly suggesting that one man was to be joined to one woman. Here is a manifestation again of the seed of Satan trying to extend its multiplication and its power in the earth. Now today, again, you may have a more sophisticated form of this particular sin. You may have sequential polygamy instead of simultaneous bigamy or polygamy. Instead of having one man have more than one wife at the same time, you will have one man having a series of wives. And that is a manifestation of the power of Satan in the world. It is not God's order, but it is Satan's order. Now notice also the scripture says that Lamech said to his two wives in verse 23, Ada and Zillah, listen to me, wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. Here again, the same manifestation of hatred and jealousy and revenge because a man wounded me, I have shown my superior power and killed him. In verse 24, if Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. Who was to avenge Cain? God said that he would avenge Cain. Look at the boastful pride of this man. Can you imagine it? He says it may take God to avenge Cain, but I will avenge myself. There is the manifestation of the seed of Satan 
and its power in the world. Now we come a little bit further and you come to the contemporaries of Noah in Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Look particularly at verse 4. Now you've heard various interpretations of that verse. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. My version reads, some versions read at that point, giants were then in the earth. And then there's one outstanding translation that reads, evil beings from the spirit world were in the earth. Now, let me assure you that that is not a translation of the Bible. That phrase, evil beings from the spirit world, is not in the Bible. The whole idea of spiritual beings coming into this world and having sexual relationships with the women of this world is about as bizarre an idea as can be imagined. That is not what the scripture is saying here. It says the Nephilim, and one very likely interpretation of that word nafal, is the fallen ones. The Nephilim were then in the earth, and they were the ones who joined themselves, the sons of the the daughters of men, to the sons of God, and so brought degeneracy and sin in the world. But here the contemporaries of Noah manifest the sin of the human heart, the sin of the human heart, when it says that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of man's heart were only evil all the day. The very first impulses of every thought of man was only evil all the day. That is the level of degeneracy to which man had sunk in the days of Noah. Now we have another interesting figure in the case of Nimrod, Genesis 10, verses 8 through 10. Look at those verses and you see again a manifestation of the seed of Satan in the world. Genesis 10 verse 8, Cush was the father of Nimrod who grew to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it is said like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The first centers of his kingdom were Babylon, Erech, Akkad, and Kalnar in Shinar. Now it's not completely clear from this text But it seems that what you have here is the first or one of the first of the mighty empire builders of the world. This mighty one, this mighty hunter, is not only a hunter of animals, but he is a hunter of men. Now the archaeological testimony comes much later from the Assyrian monuments, but there you have monuments attesting to the idea of men being hunters of other men. You have carved in stone for the memory of the ages men that are captured in nets being dragged away into captivity. You have images of men being treated as fish of the sea in that hooks were put in the most sensitive part of their lips and then strings or lines were used to attach them one behind the other as they were dragged away from their own homeland into the land of Assyria. Here again is the power of the seed of Satan as it is being manifested in the world. And finally you have Babel. You've heard of the Tower of Babel? 
What is the sin of the Tower of Babel? Those people wanted to do exactly what God had told them not to do. God had said that they were to scatter over all the earth and they were to to subdue the whole of the earth. But in order to avoid that very principle, the men of Babel said, let us build a tower that will keep us together, that will unify and unite us, that will make us one. Now, we have a tendency to glorify oneness and unity. But very often, the principle of oneness and unity is to be achieved in the minds of men at the sacrifice of the truth of God. Let us be one, say the nations of the world. Let us not be in conflict with one another. Now indeed, war is one of the most terrifying and terrible things on the face of the earth. During World War I, trenches were dug 500 miles across Europe, and men were shoulder to shoulder for three or more years, living and dying in those trenches. Summer and winter and seed time and harvest, they were not experiencing the blessing of God, but they were experiencing the curse of warfare. Just among the British troops only, an average of a thousand men died in those trenches every day. Who could know the misery, the terribleness, the awfulness of such a circumstance? And yet, many times, because of the power of the seed of Satan in the world, more harm may be done in peacetime than in wartime. When men say, peace, peace, and there is no peace, there may be a greater destruction of human rights and principles in those circumstances than even in war. Just recently, finally, the truth is beginning to emerge concerning the days of Joseph Stalin in Russia. In the Ukraine, in 1932 and 33, he deliberately starved over 7 million people. Over 7 million people were starved to death in one sector of that one country. Stalin took from them all of their food and sold it to the nations of the world so that he could build up his great military-industrial complex, and he let his own people starve to death. Now that is what Babylon is all about. The Tower of Babel, let us build us an empire that will glorify man. Very often, more harm that is un- will be done in a time of peace than in a time of warfare when the seed of Satan is in power in the world. It's a great conflict that we're talking about. This is not just a little spiritual game that you play inside your inner soul. It's not just a matter of trying to find peace in your own mind. These are the massive struggles that are going on among the men and the nations of the world. Between God and Satan, this struggle is progressing. Now look on the other side, and what do you see? You see one word more prominent than any other, and that is the word grace. The word grace. God 
pouring out his grace upon an undeserving humanity. Day in and day out, God manifesting his graciousness and his goodness even toward men in their sin. You can see it first of all in the person of Seth in Genesis chapter 4, verse 25. Genesis chapter 4, verse 25. Adam lay with his wife again and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, which would be the modern Hebrew pronunciation of the word, named him Seth. And that's a good way to remember the meaning of the word. For he has set him. It comes right over into English with essentially that same meaning. God has set or placed me one to take the place of Abel who was killed by his brother Cain. What a mercy it was of God to raise up another son for Adam and Eve. Abel The faithful one had been killed. Cain was of the seed of Satan. Who was to preserve the line of the testimony of God in the earth? God in his grace raised up, set. It's always been true that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. If you are called upon to suffer for Christ's sake, you should rejoice Because to the degree that you suffer for Christ's sake, you are planting the seed of the woman in the world. You are establishing and maintaining the principle of Christ and righteousness in the earth to the degree that you suffer for Christ. And if you should suffer to the point of martyrdom, rejoice. Because in that context, you can be assured that God will raise up ten more in your place. For none can destroy the seed of the woman. That seed has been established by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the second of the seed of the woman is Enoch. In Genesis chapter 5, verses 22 through 24, Enoch, it is said, walked with God. Living in the midst of the tumultuous days of Noah, in which men's wickedness was great in the earth, in which violence filled the whole earth, in which God said, I will destroy man from the face of the earth, Enoch walked with God. Be encouraged. It is possible. You might think, in my context, with the pressures that I have in work, it is absolutely impossible to walk with God. There is no way that I can fail to compromise Christian principles in my business, in my circumstance. But Enoch walked with God. And you know the testimony of the New Testament concerning Enoch. He was not, for God took him. Men diligently sought him. Men wanted him. And so they were looking for him after he had disappeared from the face of the earth. But God wanted him even more. And God took Enoch to him. Because Enoch's walking with God is a manifestation of the grace of God, you can be encouraged. Because you too can experience the grace of God. And you too can have the privilege and the blessing of walking with God. Now look at Lamech, Genesis 5, verses 28 and 29. Here's another Lamech. Lamech, the father of Noah. Lamech was a man just like you and I. 
He was just one of those common people. He was one that just had to work hard for everything that he got. Notice what it says in Genesis 5, verse 28. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he had a son. He named him Noach. And Noach means rest. He named his son Noah, which means rest. And he said, he will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. Well, you finally caught on, haven't you? You finally come to realize that just because you're a Christian, you're not going to get away from the curse of the earth. Just because you're a Christian, that doesn't mean you're, you're going to have to suffer through the frustrations of working and pouring yourself in labor for something and getting little in terms of results for it. God has cursed the whole of the face of the earth as a chastening of man for his sin, constantly to remind man, not just of his particular sin, and not always because of his particular sin, but to remind him of the reality that this world is under his judgment. And you as a Christian are going to have to live in that context of vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. The whole world, says the Apostle Paul, Echoing that same word of the book of Lamentations, the whole world, the whole created universe has been subjected to vanity. And you have to live in that context. You labor and toil, and yet you can have the blessing of God through faith. Through faith, even as Lamech did, you can have hope and expectation that this will be the one that will bring us relief, that will give us rest. And that, as a matter of fact, ultimately is going to come when that final seed of the woman, that final manifestation of the grace of God comes in his fullness of, and power. When the Lord Jesus comes to restore that earth that groans under the curse of God, even until now. So there's Seth, there's Enoch, there's Lamech, and finally, there is Noah. You read about Noah in Genesis chapter 6, verse 8, after Genesis 6 describes the wickedness of man that was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of man's heart were only evil all the day. Then the scripture says, but Noah, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is when God shows favor to you when you do not deserve it. And that means every one of you is a candidate for the grace of God. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. What is the scripture talking about when it says the wickedness of man was great in the earth and every imagination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil all the day? Well, that's just a scriptural anticipation of that thing that we now call in theology by the phrase total depravity. Total depravity. What is total depravity? Well, total depravity is not a teaching of the word of God that a man is as bad as he could be. It's not that you are totally depraved or men are totally depraved in the sense that they can't get any worse. That's not the meaning of total depravity. And total depravity 
What does it mean then? It means that everything that man does is polluted by sin. The wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil all the day. That is, the first impulses that came to a man, those very first impulses, you know, while you've sat here listening to me talk along, you've probably had a thousand different thoughts that have gone in a thousand different directions. Some that may have been related to what I've been talking about, but most of them that are way far away from what's been talked about here tonight. Now the scripture says the first impulse of every thought of man's heart is only evil all the day. Total depravity doesn't mean that there is not such a thing as relative good in human beings. It gives full recognition to the fact that you may have some very nice people in the world, some good neighbors, some who provide for their family, and some who do good works in the community in terms of human standards. But when you go to the standard of Almighty God and seek for perfect purity of purpose and intent and perfect conformity to the law of God, God's word says that every imagination of the thoughts of man's heart were only evil all the day. The psalmist says it, there is none that does, does good, no, not one. And Noah was one of those people. Noah was totally depraved. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And God made a covenant with Noah. God bound himself toward Noah and his family. And God made Noah a righteous man. As a consequence of his grace, Noah was able to walk in a way pleasing to God. You may be a participant of that same covenant with Noah. You may experience the same blessings that Noah experienced by faith. The grace of God can come to you and you also, though totally depraved in and of yourself, you can experience the unlimited blessings of God, the unlimited blessings of being a part of the seed of the woman. So here is the great conflict as it is described in the early chapters of Genesis. And time marches on. The conflict marches on. The whole explanation of human history is to be understood in terms of the great struggle that goes on between the seed of the woman and the seed of Satan. The degeneracy of the seed of woman in terms of, or the seed of Satan in terms of violence and hatred and lust for power and lust for self-pleasure as over against the wonders of God's grace that snatches a man out of that depraved condition, that makes a man able to walk with God that makes a man able to do the things that are right and pleasing to God. The ultimate realization of that conflict is seen in the struggle of Christ 
with Satan, in which the seed of the woman destroyed the power of Satan, though Satan bruised the seed of the woman. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that you are in control of the advancement of human history and time. And we thank you that you through all the ages have preserved your own. We praise your name that you have not yet lost a single one that has looked to you, confessing their depravity and seeking salvation in Jesus Christ. Help us, O Heavenly Father, to be men and women who understand the times in which we live. Enable us by faith to overcome and to be more than conquerors through him who loved us. For we ask in Christ's name, amen. The closing hymn is...